Welcome back to Snackcast. Hello. All right, day for of <laughs> brain energy by Dr. Palmer. Um, we are moving into chapter six, titled "Mental States and Mental Disorders." This was a doozy. It was a doozy. I don't know, I'm a little, uh, I'm a little jaded again, man. It just seems like it kind of dragged on a little bit. Well, so the point of this chapter, right, was to kind of discuss um, the difference between the two. And by difference, I mean the similarity, right, that whether it's a mental state, which really might equate to mood or a temporary circumstance versus a mental disorder. Yeah, um, I mean, mental states are are things that, I mean, they, they can be very normal mental states. Right. Well, in his point in this chapter, if I'm interpreting correctly, is that the symptoms are often the same and both can lead to poor health. uh, Both can lead to poor health outcomes. But how do we differentiate? Right. Right. Uh, You know, he starts talking about normal stress responses. And um, I I did take this interesting that. That today's human, um, he talked about fight or flight mode and that a lot of, you know, we go through fight or flight on a regular basis. The problem is, is that we don't ever fight or flight. We often compartmentalize and deal with it internally. There is no, we were made to either fight a situation or flee a situation. And a lot of times we deal with a situation. Avoid. Avoid. (laughs) You know, yeah. You know, it's it's we've evolved and probably our brain hasn't. That's a, I didn't really get that point. That's interesting that you picked up on that. Um, the because uh, I, th- I think avoidance is a big part. But, you know, kind of did you catch the car analogy? I thought it was really good. In the car A, B or C? A, B or C. Yeah, yeah. Go, go for it. You know, so again, he's talking about a mental state versus a mental disorder. And that even within mental states and within mental disorders, there can be so many different variables. And in this analogy, he said, car A, B, and C. Same year, same model, brand new. Um, they're, they're exactly the same. And car A goes to, and I'm going to mess up the details, but I, let's say a senior citizen that barely ever drives, that sits in an air-conditioned garage. Gets proper um, maintenance. Proper maintenance, washed all the time, washed and waxed, and um, that's the life it's going to live, arguably the perfect life of a car, right? Right. Car B is driven in the snow, by a teenager. By a teenager. Once a year, it gets snow tires. Um, it gets properly maintenanced, but it gets salt on it from the snow. And it gets so it's living a very normal life for a car, but. But it's being pushed to extremes. It's being pushed to extremes. Therefore, it's going to have a shorter lifespan, mm-hmm. more problems, etc. But normal life for a car. Then car C. The windshield wipers pop on for no reason, and the headlights blink. And, and it's in extreme the, conditions it, and not being taken care of. And Right. It's not getting the proper maintenance. And that is the mental disorder. And I, I, I think an this, in, in, in coming back to humans, I think it was something like people with significant mental stress, I mean, can lose like 20 years of their life. 
Oh, uh, yeah. I, I don't know the numbers, but um, I, I think that was, you know, somewhere somewhere in there. Well, we know simply um, that stress. He talked about, you know, ACEs, uh, adverse childhood experiences, you know, kind of dealing with this backwards from the car analogy to, you know, if you are if you were a child and you had a very stressful life, you could have symptoms and issues related from that. He said uh, ACEs increase the, that was ACEs are adverse childhood experiences. ACEs increase the probability for physical inactivity, obesity, and diabetes by between 25 to 52%. Makes sense. So childhood trauma early on in their life translates into poor outcomes later on. I would go back to the car analogy, right? The car B that's driven in the snow by a teenager with snow tires twice a year, whatever, you can change its scenario and sell it to an elderly person in Southern California that keeps it in an air-conditioned garage. But those first two years of hard driving We're rough on it. are still going to affect its long-term value. Yeah, here was that actual t- statistics. A, a, a person, a study of 17,000 people looked specifically at mortality data of, of people having six or more ACEs takes 20 years off a person's life Whew. compared to those with no ACEs. 20 years. So mainly through mental illness. Yeah. Yeah. And those, those aces were physical, sexual abuse, neglect, household substance abuse, household mental illness, exposure to domestic violence, parental divorce, and go on mm, and on. Breaking up of the family. Yep. Gosh, that's that's so so common anymore. So, you don't even consider it to be traumatic. So then he then he goes on that I thought that this was interesting as well because you, you and I have talked about uh, autophagy at a at a large level with both fasting and everything else. But when you go through severe situations of stress, you generate cortisol, and then I I made that connection. And actually, he pointed out that connection that connection that cortisol stops. Autophagy. And for those of you who don't know, autophagy is the way that the cells replicate and kind of autophagy literally means eat themselves. Yeah. Right. So it's the way the cells like the body looks at these cells and goes, this cell over here is deformed. It's not optimal. It's not optimal. We're going to take it out of commission. We're going to eat it. We're going to use it for energy. And and we're going to rebuild, right? And when you are in a situation of high cortisol, high stress environments, autophagy is limited at best. Basically, so a stressful mental state can absolutely people who go, man, I I, I gain weight when I'm stressed, right? That you can understand why, or you lose weight when you're stressed. I mean, it can be a variety of things that's going on. So the little bit that we have studied autophagy, it's mainly been around fasting, Um, is the implication that... I guess our body is constantly in a state of autophagy. Fast, Some fasting autophagy. just throws fire on the flame. Yes. Yeah. But you're, you are in large autophagy when you do like a 72-hour fast. You know, uh, obviously, the less you eat, the more autophagy is which to pushed, his point, pushed into motion. Goes back to metabolism. Yes. The, the metabolic, the, the definition, I don't remember it, but from a chapter or two ago, the definition is how the body processes energy and gets rid of waste right the waste being poorly developed cells yeah Yeah. so you know during that those periods of time that makes it makes complete sense right if you were if you were the creator of the body 
what would you have the body do in this period where it's not eating, where you're not eating? All right, well, I can kill two birds with one stone here. I can take out the trash and I can generate energy right. because I'm eating all these poorly developed cells. That's a prime time for the body to be doing that is the autophagy is when you're not eating, right? But um, yeah, so it, 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 that was that was that was an interesting connection too, of how mental stress translates into physical harm, actual physical harm. Yeah. Yep. Um, then he goes on. He talks about um, you know it starts to define mental illness is is basically when the uh, all right woo, when the brain is not working properly. Yeah, you you know that uh, he makes the car analysis, uh, but he really says there's there's what what three or four uh, three three ways to determine how uh, mental disorders basically overactivity, underactivity, and absence of function. Right, <coughs> so overactivity, uh, a, a, a kid with ADHD, right, or hyperactivity, attention deficit disorder. I mean, it's the brain is just. Constant right. state of, of, of motion. Underactivity could be depression. Right. Right. Um, you know, absence of function. We've talked about it before. People have, have, have had all the time where they, they don't feel pain or they don't feel emotion or they don't. The big one there was uh, Alzheimer's, wasn't it? Um, yeah, absence of function was Alzheimer's. Yeah, it was like like actual cells are dying. Right, and you can't you can't make um, you can't just common things you can't do anymore. Yeah. Um, so uh, all in all, he's he's kind of painting this picture back of going symptoms are how you determine mental disorder, uh, but I, but it's but it's so difficult because the symptoms exhibit themselves across the entire spectrum. And, and symptoms are normal, right? And I think yeah. he talked about like went back with, all right. Well, when you're when you're uh, when you go to a doctor and you have heel pain, there's something wrong, right? When you go, I mean, when you go to a doctor and you, you say, can't say that to me without me thinking of the old uh, newscast. Go ahead, keep going. <laughs> something wrong. Oh, something wrong. <laughs> so, so there's something wrong, and then he talks about, all right, but what's wrong, right? Well, I have to, I have to do further research in order to understand what is actually going on here, right? Is it a piece of glass in your foot? Is it your knee? Is your knee having problems? Is what's causing the heel pain? Something is causing that heel pain. He's, he basically is saying, in the world of uh, of mental illness, it's not that easy. Right. I mean, everybody has grief. Everybody has a little bit of depression. Yeah. I highlighted this at the end because I think it kind of summarizes the entire chapter. And um, he says, one of the challenges in identifying what causes mental illness is that the findings I've mentioned here are not consistent across people with the same disorder or even in the same person at different times. So it's it, it's to your point of the heel thing. It's there's diagnostic things we can do to figure it out. And um, he actually says that somewhere here where we don't have diagnostics for mental health. It's our symptoms. Right. And, and then going back to the ACEs, it could be something that started in your childhood that now you're rearing its ugly head when you're 40 years old. Right. Right. Something that just wasn't addressed. So it looks like this chapter may be the end of the setting it all up. 
Chapter 7 is... One would hope. (laughs) Titled Magnificent Mitochondria. You know what I I do think here, and I mean this with all due respect, Dr. Palmer, but I think um, we talked about this before. You and I are like, oh, problem A, smash. Other people are like, problem A, let's investigate and explain how we got to where we are. And I think... um, I think maybe Dr. Palmer just has that kind of personality that doesn't necessarily resonate with you and I. Um, Fix the problem. <laughs> you know. Right? So, um, it's, and he's like, not so easy. It's not so easy. I have to tell you how we got here. Right. First. And, and it, it's certainly valuable. Again, I think I've mentioned before, my wife would probably love um, the nature of these first six chapters. You know, for me, it's like, Come on, let's get let's get to the meat and potatoes, you know. So, yeah, I mean, he, he, symptoms of mental illness, overactive brain functions, fear and anxiety, obsession, compulsion, compulsion, uh, and psychotic symptoms. Um, I think I've known someone in each one of those camps. Oh, so have I. So, all right, anyway, all right, all right. So we'll, like we're moving on. Move on to chapter seven next. It's titled "Magnificent Mitochondria," so that's why I think we may be starting to get like into it. So I'm looking forward to it. Um, yeah. So just for those of y'all, I don't know when this will deploy, but we are coming up on New Year's. So um, happy New Year's. Happy Questions, New Year. comments, concerns. Hit us at snackcast at yes dot fit. Stay moving. See ya.